0: Hello and welcome to a Sunday, March 27th edition of the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast. I am your host, Horace Kermani, and today we get a seven-game big Sunday to go ahead and finish out your weekend. Hope it's been a great one for you. Uh, We had, for those who have been keeping up, a burnt speaker that ended up messing up with uh, the Toronto game, causing us to leave halfway through and we'll get refunded. So that's cool. But uh, I think I still have that burning smell in my nostrils. So that's going to be An interesting one to see how it actually ends up dealing with it overall, but glad that we were able to get the game over, get the win, and get uh, the Raptors up in the sixth seed. So that's just a side little note, but as far as the DFS side of things are concerned, we just keep getting that much closer to the playoffs, which means that all of these games just get that little extra juice in them as teams really try to fight out for all the different seedings that we are seeing here. And today, in the seven games, we actually get a main slate that's going to have six games, which is going to be the primary focus of what I speak on today. But cannot forget any opportunities that are there to be able to win some money. And with the single game showdown that the New York Knicks are doing with the Detroit Pistons, we'll get a little bit of a look in as well. But of course, before we get into that, as always, shout out to our sponsors at Thrive Fantasy, which at this point, you really should be doing whatever you can to be able to get yourself on there on the premier prop betting website. Over 6 million in prizes awarded. Every day, you just create a lineup based on over and unders on the different statistical categories the major players playing on that day. As a listener of the Sports Ethos DFS Today podcast, you just use the promo code Ethos, E-T-H-O-S, to get a 100% deposit match on a deposit up to $100. So definitely get yourself on that as soon as possible. Sign up and prop up today. Looking right into that New York Knicks game up against the Detroit Pistons, we're looking at a game total of 218 and a half with the New York Knicks favored to win by four. So you know, not really the most exciting game as far as pure point scoring is concerned, but there is still a lot to like, especially given on the New York Knicks side, we have Julius Randle, who is still coming questionable for this matchup, having been ruled out for that last game up against Miami. So we're going to have to see if he is able to go ahead and make his way onto the court. Otherwise, Derrick Rose continues to be out. Quentin Grimes is out. Cam Reddish is out. Solomon Hill is out. And then the rest of the rotation as expected. Well, we saw last game around as far as the New York Knicks are concerned, starting with that. Really, we have seen Obi Toppin get his opportunity to get that much more involved on the offensive end. And in three straight games now, including a 47-point gem against the Charlotte Hornets, he has found himself with just a greater role and more opportunities to be able to rack up those boards, being the athletic power forward that he is. And given that we have different values all set up over here at 8,100, Definitely one of the guys to keep a close eye on if the Julius Randall news continues to be that he isn't able to make it on the court. Outside of that, you know, we've seen big minutes come through for a couple of these guards now. And R.J. Barrett at 13,500 is in a good spot to be the potential like pure highest DK point scorer on the night. At 13,500, he's also one of the highest-priced players on this one-game slate. But given how everything else will need to run through New York, given that they are expected to win, given that they're playing away, in general, R.J. Barrett has found himself in a very consistent role. He's only had one game against the Pistons so far this year. Can't really read too much into that. Only played 25 minutes. Still was able to put up about 27 DK points in that. But really, what's been... Good, as far as R.J. Barrett has been concerned as of late, has just been his overall increased, one, attempts from outside, which gives him that little bit more of a potential cushion. He hasn't necessarily hit them all that much, but the fact that he's shooting anywhere between 7 to 10 attempts from the three-point line just gives him that much more upside to be able to go ahead and take advantage of that because you know his usage is going to be just as high as it needs to be. Get up to 17 to 20 field goal attempts and just give him all the opportunity to be able to back up the kind of stats that you're looking for in this kind of a slate. He's probably going to be my pick for the MVP side of things, which, of course, is that caveat that you have to think about when you are looking at a showdown slate itself. So look into that for sure. Beyond that, the rest of the rotation has been pretty hit and miss. I'm not super, super excited to get into Alec Burks or Emmanuel quickly, but given the price tags, they are someone that's going to be in play. In general, I usually trust Alec Burks a little bit more than quickly, but as of late, quickly has found himself getting into a little bit more of a groove offensively, putting up 23 real points in the last game, and he's hit double digits now for uh, six straight games. So that's definitely something to look at from a positive end. The only problem is if his shot isn't going, then you'll see that Thibodeau is a little bit quicker to yank him out. And that's usually in favor of Alec Burks, who, as I said, is a better defender, is a guy that Thibodeau has trusted more often than not. So between the two, I'd definitely be picking him. Moving on to the Detroit side really quickly here. As far as the injuries are concerned, we know that Jeremy Grant is going to continue to miss uh, time. He had uh, an injury in that Friday game up against the Wizards. It was a calf injury, and he's already been ruled out for the Sunday game. Hamido Diallo, who's actually been ruled out for the remainder of the season with his finger. And then Isaiah Livers is also ruled, him, is ruled out with a concussion. So that's definitely You know, a little bit of a hit to the rotation itself, especially with uh, Detroit going towards a lot more of their younger guys. But really, it starts and ends, as always, with Cade Cunningham on the Detroit Pistons. There's no one I ever trust outside of him, other than like a cheap Jeremy Grant. And if there's anyone I'm picking on the Detroit side, it's going to be Cade Cunningham again. If the game is going to stay close, if it's going to live up to that Four point spread for the New York Knicks. It's going to mean that Kate Cunningham is putting up stats alongside Sadiq Bey, who I usually don't like because he's just so hit and miss. But at 12,000, given the price tags of everything else over here, he's got that little bit of upside to be able to go ahead and take advantage of that. But talking about price for performance, it is going to continue to stick with Marvin Bagley, who's just found himself as I've said before, in a situation where he's finally getting more of that role, more of that usage, and he is finding himself thriving. He's had three straight games of 25 or more DK points, put up a 37-point night against the Washington Wizards in the last game. So definitely will have all that opportunity to be able to do it here against the New York Knicks team that, with just Mitchell Robinson really as their kind of primary front court defender and the fact that Mitchell Robinson is not that great at defending the perimeter gives Marvin Bagley that little bit more to be able to take advantage of it because he's able to stretch his floor out to the three-point line as needed but more so than that he's just shown that he's got a lot of moves in his offensive bag to be able to put up those points in a hurry so between those two that's going to be the vast majority of my exposure and as I said, as far as MVP is concerned, it's really between Kate or RJ Barrett where you feel. If you want to be a little bit frisky, I may actually say that uh, Marvin Bagley may potentially be a guy that you, know, you can throw in there as a bit of a curveball into the rest of the lineup because, as you said, most of the rotation has been pretty fair and it's all about finding that one cheap guy at the end of the roster that's able to go ahead and do something for you. And if there's anyone that potentially has any sort of a capability to be able to do that, it's either someone like an Evan Fournier, who we know can get hot on a moment's notice at 8,700 is someone to keep in mind. Or if you're looking for you know one of their guards for Detroit that could potentially be getting a little bit more run, then you could be looking at a uh, a Corey Joseph, a Killian Hayes, uh, even a Rodney Magruder, all those guys who get in their minutes into the 20s can give you a potential shot. I probably like Killian Hayes the best of that just because he can rack up the defensive stats and really Detroit has nothing else to play for, so might as well get more of their young guys more minutes. But that is that for the one-game slate. We move on to the main slate, which is six games tonight. Now, this is a particularly exciting slate for me because we are seeing prices just be in such a different spot as far as the latest DFS price tags are concerned for a number of these guys. And I'm going to be really focusing in on a lot of these mid-tier values that I'm seeing here because there are so many options. And spoiler alert, I may actually not even be taking a big stud tonight. So let's see exactly how that ends up panning out. But... We start off with a big game right away with the Minnesota Timberwolves taking on the Boston Celtics in a six o'clock game coming in at a 229 and a half game total. The Boston Celtics favored to win by six points. As far as the injury report is concerned for the Minnesota Timberwolves, we have Jaden McDaniels continuing to be out. We've got Malik Beasley out. Jordan McLaughlin is questionable for this game. And then uh, Bruce uh, Brian Bowen the second continues to be out as well, which obviously is not affecting the rotation all that much. So the usual suspects continue to be the guys that I really look at, and in this case, we have got a pretty significant price discount for, I'd say, two out of the three, and then of course. My guy Cat is down below that 10,000 mark again, which automatically just puts him into kind of that top-end player pool, but I'll talk about him in a bit. First and foremost, Anthony Edwards and D'Angelo Russell, both of them sub-7K in a matchup in which Anthony Edwards last year did quite well, 25-5 and in that one. D'Angelo Russell, as always, has the capability to be able to go off on any given night, though he has had... A couple of slumping games over here, which is really what's caused his price tag to drop all the way from that 77, 7800, which it has been consistently for the season, down into the 6000 mark. And really, all that does for me is mitigate some of that downside, which you always do get with a guy like a D'Angelo Russell, who can be somewhat boom or bust. I mean, his floor is usually pretty secure in that kind of low 30s, which isn't the worst as far as, you know, when his price tag is in the 7,000s. But now, if it's at 6,500, that just makes it, to me, a no-brainer pick to be able to look at as far as guards are concerned. I just think there's way too much upside at that price tag in a matchup that is one of the higher point totals of the night, except for this one, like, major outlier that we're going to talk about a little bit later on in this slate. But... For D'Angelo Russell at 6,500, definitely in play. Anthony Edwards as well. I cannot fault you for going with that. Yeah, He's just a guy that needs to get his confidence and his shot going. It was just a week ago where back-to-back against the Lakers and Milwaukee, he dropped 40-plus DK points. And you know, even though he hasn't set the world on fire since, he's still sitting at that low 30s average in that time as well for the last three games. So at 6,900, both of them are absolutely in play. We know how pesky Boston can be as a defensive team, which is probably the only caveat to this. But just given the point spread that we're seeing, given the fact that on the Boston side of things... While Tatum and Brown are both considered to be probable to play, we'll have to see how they are faring out there as far as you know, their potential injuries are concerned. So it's just been one of those where people have been a little bit worried about you know, Jason Tatum having to deal with his uh, patella, and then on the other hand, Jalen Brown has kind of been nicked up all the way through. But in general, I expect them to play their regular s- slate of minutes. It's just I expect this to be a much more competitive game than a six-point spread even would suggest. So. Definitely looking a lot on the Minnesota side here. On the Boston side, other than the two I just mentioned as probable, Al Horford has been ruled out for the game with personal reasons. And outside of that, the rotation is good to go. Now, anytime Al Horford is out, that automatically brings Robert Williams into play for me. You know, he's going to get those additional minutes to be able to go ahead and get the rest of his kind of stat line in play. Coming off a gem against the Utah Jazz in which he dropped 40 DK points in just 25 minutes. And really, we don't even necessarily need him to get into kind of the big minutes nights that he gets. And as much as I love Cat on the offensive end, he always has his struggles on the defensive side of things as well. And really, we could see Boston try and expose some of that by getting more lobs into Robert Williams, get him that little bit more involved to get Cat. Expending more of his energy on that defensive end so that he can't be as successful on the other side. So, at 6,000, definitely a big play here for me today on the front court as far as Boston's concerned. In general, Tatum and Brown have been guys that I've just kind of avoided based on their price tags. I do think they're in a pretty decent spot, especially Jalen Brown at 7,900. That's a pretty good spot for him. That's been by and large, his floor for the majority of the season. He's averaging 38 DK points for the year. And really, he stays around that, which makes him that little bit less exciting as far as a GPP play is concerned. But from a cash perspective, definitely feel would feel good about taking him for 7,900. But again, going back to that Minnesota side on the other end for a 1,000 to 1,500 less, you could get a combination of either Anthony Edwards or D'Angelo Russell, both of which I feel have the same kind of upside without having to spend That same kind of money. Always great to be able to take advantage of that. As far as the rest of the rotation is concerned for Boston, as I've always said, Marcus Smart continues to be that one guy that I'll usually take a flyer on. In this kind of a slate where there's a lot of high scoring games coming up, there's a lot of really good mid tier prices guys that we're going to speak about. Marcus Smart will likely not find himself on my lineups here, but I would not fault you for looking into him as well because, as always, Even though he's not the most efficient as far as his offense is concerned, what he has is no conscience. He will always look for himself on the offensive end. He'll call his number whenever he gets that opportunity. And just given how much he's always going to be involved on the defensive end, his defensive stats will often find you a way to get to the rest of his stats. Moving on to the next game, we have the Golden State Warriors going in to Washington to take on the Wizards in a game that has a 216 and a half game total. So at the moment it looks like the second lowest game total of the night with the Warriors favored to win by 7. Now, I'll be straight up honest here. This is probably the least exciting game for me in this entire slate. I'm going to say that really outside of perhaps looking into some of, uh, you know, some Jordan Poole on the Golden State side, just because he's been absolutely on fire and his price tag continues to be that decent 7,000 range where he's coming off two games of 49 and 45, has found an absolute groove on the offensive end, Is found an absolute groove as a primary passer in the absence of Steph Curry, has gotten just a lot of upside as far as his price tag is concerned. And I like him more than I like, say, Jalen Brown on the other end in that same price range. But outside of that, on the Washington end, their only guy I have even passing interest in is Denny Abdia, who, as I've said in numerous podcasts before, they just continue to need to find him, his minutes, and he's gotten 32 minutes straight back to back. And while Kyle Kuzma, who is, uh, who is out as of last game, is likely not to be seen on the Sunday game, though he hasn't been officially ruled out yet, and then the rest of their rotation, it's really just Daniel Gafford who while it uh, has been listed with an injury is listed probable now so we could very well end up seeing him take the floor but outside of denny abdia the rest of these price tags are just of no interest to me uh porzingis 8500 is said a decent price tag for himself but there's just better options that being said he is coming off a big game against detroit has had two big games out of his last three so i wouldn't discount him absolutely completely but The Warriors are a much peskier defensive team than the type of matchups that he's gotten as of late. I don't particularly like this matchup in general for any of the Wizards. So if I'm going to be spending up, I'm going to be looking to do that in a matchup where the points total is not so low, nor is the point spread that high in favor of an opposing team. So we can just go ahead and move on into the Philadelphia and Phoenix game, which is one of two games that I am super excited to watch in actual life, like real life to watch this game today. I believe this is going to be one of the bigger matchups with Phoenix, getting themselves healthy, getting their point God back on their end. And then, you know, there's a little bit of that kind of storyline there too. You got to remember James Harden, Chris Paul had their history as well. Didn't make it happen when they were together. You know, Chris Paul's injuries, the Houston Rockets going cold at the wrong time. And just a lot of stuff that just is going to be a forever. What if, as far as that pairing is concerned. But as far as the Philly side is concerned, from an injury perspective, they are good to go. It's really just irrelevant pieces at the end of the bench that are sitting out at all, which means that we're going to see our usual suspects, which is that duo of Harden and Embiid continuing to just run wild on the matchup. They're coming off an absolutely monstrous duo game up against the LA Clippers as of yes, as of Friday, where Harden went ahead and put up 29-15-7, and seven. Embiid put up 27-10, and 10, and just were able to do that, not having to go absolutely ham as far as their workload is concerned. So great for them to get that one-day rest. Harden, as always, I've said a 10,000 is just a price tag that I absolutely love taking. If there's a stud that I like, that I'm willing to spend the five-digit salary on, it's going to be James Harden. In general, I take him over Embiid, not only because he's cheaper, but in general, Harden will find different ways to be able to get himself near that triple-double mark, which he has for the last four games now. And really, his floor is always so secure. Even on a bad Harden game, you know you're going to get somewhere in the low 40s, but if you get even a decent one, he moves up into the 60s. And in a matchup that should be full of emotion is a 226 and a half game total with the Suns favored by four. So that means that if Philly's going to win this, you're going to have to see more of Harden and Embiid just continue to go absolutely at it. So I expect that Harden is going to save something special here to go up against Chris Paul. As we know, the Phoenix Suns have been just an incredible defensive team, an incredible force by and large in this entire season. And for them to have clinched where they have at this point uh, with their. 60-win season now have clinched that first seed. They're going to be looking to ensure that they're all fully healthy as well. So perhaps this is kind of their last statement game before they go ahead and get themselves ready for the playoffs, and I expect it to be a big one. I'm not looking too much on the ancillary pieces as far as Philly is concerned you know what you're going to end up getting with the rest of the rotation, just not enough usage. And that means that their price tags just don't mean all that much to me, unless you happen to see an injury. And even Tybill now has moved into the 4,000. So that just puts him off on my, you know, just hold on for a bit there, brother. I'll come back to you later when you jump down into the 3,000s again, because as Mike and the rest of the listeners always know, any opportunity I get to take Tybill will always be there. But today he gets to rest on my bench. Moving on to the Phoenix side, as far as injuries are concerned, there are a couple that they are keeping track of. First and foremost, we know that Cam Johnson has been ruled out. Uh, JaVale McGee has also been ruled out. And then otherwise, Frank Kaminsky, Dario Saric, and then the rest of the rotation at the end are the only ones missing. But who isn't missing and who continues after his first game back? from a long injury, played 30 minutes, put up 46 DK points, is going to be, spoiler alert, my favorite mid-tier pick. Chris Paul at 7,200 is just in an incredible spot to be able to not only make his value, but he could go quite a bit beyond that in a game that's likely going to need him to be that little bit more assertive on offense. Really, what you want for a Phoenix recipe anytime to take Chris Paul is a game that's in that single-digit spread, it's a game that can stay close going into the fourth quarter because that's where Chris Paul will start to look for his own offense. You know, he's always looking to get his teammates going for those first three quarters. And really his field goal attempts really only pick up in that second half, especially the fourth quarter where he's required to take over that mid-range game comes into play. And at 7,200, he absolutely is going to be a monster pick for me. I expect he's going to be looking at those double digits assists again, put up 10 field gold attempts in the first game back, put up 17 points, 46 DK points, just in a great spot to be able to go ahead and produce. Of course, him coming back, though, takes away the shine from a lot of these other guys who had been priced appropriately for their level of production before Chris Paul did come back. So Devin Booker, even though he did have a great game in that last one against Denver, I am kind of avoiding spending that kind of money on a Devin Booker 9,400 right now. But I do expect that there will be a decent amount of people that chase that box score. Had a monster game, 49 real points, 78.5 DK points in that Denver game. We'll have to see if he can keep that level of production up. But I, as a principal, cannot see myself spending that kind of money on a Devin Booker when you know that Chris Paul is around to take over a lot of that usage, a lot of that point guard responsibility that Devin Booker had seen himself get in the time that Chris Paul had been absent. Beyond that, the regulars, as far as the ancillary pieces are concerned for Phoenix, continue to be in a good spot. But again, that usage just... Isn't enough to go around for me to like spending up that five thousand to six thousand for any of these guys up here. As far as front courts are concerned, I, mean, I just don't like taking DeAndre Ayton up against Joel Embiid. It's not a matchup that he has ever done all that well on. And even though his price tag at sixty seven hundred isn't in a bad spot for him to be able to take advantage of, you know, Chris Paul finding him a couple more looks, I just don't see the kind of upside for me to look into going in on. And So it's really going to be just Chris Paul there for me as far as the Phoenix side is concerned. And we saw on the Philly side, it's going to be mostly Harden. Maybe, maybe I look at Embiid, but I don't think I will on this matchup. And instead, I'm going to move on to the Lakers taking on the New Orleans Pelicans. A 230 game total. The New Orleans Pelicans favored to win by two and a half, making this the second closest game of the night, with the only exception being the Jazz and Mavericks, which is a straight up toss up. We'll have to see when we get there. As far as the Lakers themselves are concerned, a couple of guys coming in questionable with the biggest question mark in the King, LeBron James. He's still questionable with his knee. We'll have to see if he is able to take the floor. They have had a pretty significant break since that uh, last game on the 23rd of March. It's odd to get three, nearly four days off in terms of break. And of course, LeBron himself hasn't played since his return to Cleveland, which was back on March 21st. So we'll see if he's able to go ahead and get himself back on the floor, because if so, at 11,200 in a 230 points total game, definitely of interest the pelicans are never a great side as far as the defensive things are concerned and from a seeding standpoint this is also a game that has its own implications because the pelicans are only a half game back of the la lakers who are currently sitting in ninth pelicans at 10th and of course the pelicans would love to be able to have home court in that play-in game because the rest of the eight look relatively locked in with the clippers Four games ahead of the nine-seed Lakers, it's unlikely that that is going to be changing. So really, it's about can the Pelicans go ahead and steal that home court advantage away from the Lakers, give themselves every chance that they can get to be able to knock out the Lakers once the play-in games come around. So lots of intrigue as far as this game is concerned. And I have a feeling that LeBron is going to do what he can to see himself back on the court. Although the spread with the Pelicans being favoured... Makes it seem like perhaps that may not be the case. So definitely keep this. In mind, it's 7 o'clock start, so it's going to be after the 3, 6 o'clock games there. You'll have to make some de- some decisions. you have to make a couple of uh, moves around, perhaps keep LeBron in one of those utility forward spots where you can go ahead and make that swap if you see yourself going that way instead of uh, being that little bit more, I don't want to say conservative because there's a lot of upside in those first three games, but being a little bit more solid with your picks going that side rather than banking on the king. As far as the rest of the rotation is concerned, if LeBron is out, that does get a good bit of intrigue in in the rest of the rotation, because Westbrook, who's coming off a couple of really solid games, is getting himself back into some level of groove as far as his fantasy production is concerned. Four games now, all 45 and above, two of them 50 and above as far as DK points are concerned, yet his price tag still is hovering in that kind of 8,000s range, which gives you a lot of upside in a fast-paced matchup if we do see that LeBron does sit out. So keep an eye out on that. And then continuing to look at that LeBron situation is also what's going to have me intrigued in a Stanley Johnson pick, who at 3600 would definitely be big in play if that does happen, coming off a 32 DK point game, played 35 minutes in that last game against Philly. We know what kind of defensive presence he does bring, and if he gets the opportunity to start to get those kind of minutes... Definitely in play at anything sub 4,000. Beyond that, uh, I'll also be looking at Malik Monk if LeBron James is sitting out as well. Continues to be that kind of secondary piece that I do find myself going to relatively often as long as he's in that 5,000 range because he just has the capability to get hot with his shot put up 20 field goal attempts in the last game against Philly, and even though his ancillary stats are never anything to write home about, just purely from his usage standpoint, anytime LeBron is out, we'll get him into that 30s mark as far as DK points is concerned. And at his price tag, that's exactly where you want him to be. Speaking of injuries, on the New Orleans Pelicans side, we're going to be looking at exactly what the Jonas Valanciunas situation is, who is listed as questionable with some right foot soreness on his end. So we'll have to see if he's able to go ahead and take the court. Brandon Ingram, on the other hand, has been listed as probable to come back after his extended injury. Remember, the last game he played was back on the 6th of March where he was on a tear. He had put up three massive games and then has missed three weeks with his hamstring. So we'll have to see whether he comes back with any sort of restrictions at 7,500. Not likely to take him on his first night back. Let's see how he actually kind of gets himself in the groove of things. But really, if all that's happening, it kind of begins and ends with CJ McCollum, who, again, we talk about price tags being interesting. His price tag is definitely interesting at 8600 for a guy who's going to be kind of the be-all, end-all as far as the offense is concerned. And this is kind of with the caveat, if Ingram is actually playing. If he's not limited, then I'm less interested in CJ McCollum, but in the regular kind of situation where it's going to be pretty much all CJ all the time, especially if Valanciunas is out, then at 8,600, lots to like on that against a Lakers defensive squad, which is the less said about the defense, the better. And if Valanciunas does continue to be out, then Willie Hernan Gomez definitely comes massively into play. In fact, you probably become chalk as far as his value is concerned. At 3,800, we know that he's just a double-double machine. Anytime he can get any sort of significant minutes, and that's exactly what's going to end up happening if he does end up getting that start with Valanciunas out. Larry Nance is also not uh, going to be playing this game on a on a back to back with his knee. They're probably just looking to make sure that his injuries continue to get managed, make sure that he's healthy, give the Pelicans whatever chance they can get, whatever depth they can get going into the remainder of this season leading into the play in. Next is the Charlotte And Brooklyn game. And this game has a lot of intrigue, not only for the fact that it is just an absolute barn burner as far as points total is concerned. 239 is the points total for this game with the Brooklyn Nets favored to win by six. And apart from the fact that this is going to be the highest scoring night or highest scoring game of the night easily, is that it's also going to be Kyrie's first game back where he's allowed to play at home. So lots of eyeballs on exactly what this is going to now mean for Brooklyn, who's starting to now round into the hope that they can get some sort of normalcy as far as their rotation is concerned going into the playoffs. And we'll have to see just how Brooklyn can also kind of keep themselves going as far as their seeding is concerned. Because again, they're sitting in that eighth slot. They'll be hoping that they can maybe catch up with The Cleveland Cavaliers, a team that has been slumping pretty significantly as of late, only four of six in the last 10, now only two games ahead of the Brooklyn Nets. So they'll be looking to get every win that they can get on their end, and just on that other end, Charlotte, who is going to be looking at the other side of things, seeing that Brooklyn is a game ahead of them on the other end, if they can get this win, then that's going to mean a lot for their opportunity to get out of kind of that initial sudden death play in game and get themselves into an eighth slot instead. So lots of in general to keep in mind when we're getting into these playoff scenarios. But starting with the Charlotte Hornets themselves, as far as their injury report at least is concerned, there is a little less variability there. Gordon Hayward, the only one who is out still, though on the positive end, he's also starting to ramp things up. So hopefully we can see him back on the court as well because the Hornets could use every bit of offense and every bit of depth that they can get. As far as the actual players on the Hornets are concerned, LaMelo Ball, 8700, very simple. He is going to be one of my top plays in this slate, in this night. Anytime he's in this kind of price range, he's always in play for me. And then, given the fact that this is such a high paced game, in a matchup where he's actually done quite well in the two games that he's played, despite not getting that full 30 plus minutes. He's had nearly 40 DK points on average against the against the Brooklyn Nets. I expect him to be able to hit that against the Brooklyn Nets team that in and of itself is still struggling as far as their defensive end is concerned. And especially if Kyrie is going to be the one on LaMelo for any sort of extended periods of time that automatically adds that extra level of boost to LaMelo because as great as Kyrie is on one end of the ball, he is an absolute pylon as far as any sort of defense is concerned. So we're likely going to see Brooklyn really scrambling to throw other pieces at him, whether it be a Bruce Brown, whether it be um, if uh, Seth Curry or Gron Dragic can go ahead and get on the floor as well. We'll see what their status is concerned with. But in general, I expect matchups to be quite good for LaMelo Ball to be able to operate with freedom And as far as freedom is concerned, both LaMelo as well as Terry Rozier are going to find themselves in a great spot to be able to do that. And Rozier himself, who had the one game earlier this season where he dropped 55 DK points on the Brooklyn Nets, is in a great spot as far as his price tag is concerned. Now usually, I don't like taking Rozier, because I'd rather take Lamello, I believe, in his usage more. I believe Rogier is just better off the ball, and you can't always trust his ancillary stats to be able to back it up, but this price tag is just way too cheap. Not only is his price tag too cheap, I feel Miles Bridges also has a lot of upside in his price tag as well, who himself has had two monster games up against the Brooklyn Nets, and is coming off two really good games coming into this so in general these prices somewhat don't make sense to me so all three of those guys are definitely in play it's all depends on where it is that you uh, see your game scripts for some of these other earlier games if you want to stack a little bit more on this charlotte brooklyn game i expect this is going to be a pretty popular strategy today and It's actually a strategy that I think would be pretty smart to be able to do. I expect this to be a tight game through and through. I expect the usage to be exactly where we've seen from the major players as far as the Charlotte Hornets are concerned. And I think you can actually go ahead and not have to worry too much about the ancillary pieces as far as their rotation is concerned. And really just focus on these three major guys that are going to be trying to do every bit of damage they can in a supremely supremely high-paced matchup. Coming off a big win against the Utah Jazz, there's just a lot of confidence coming in for the Charlotte Hornets. So they're going to be hoping to build upon that and see if they can seize that seed away from Brooklyn Nets and push them into that sudden death matchup. As far as Brooklyn themselves are concerned, Kyrie and Durant, we already know. You already know anytime they are in any sort of matchup, they're just matchup proof. The question here, and this is exactly what I was mentioning at the start of the podcast, is whether you even need any of these kind of studs in this matchup, or in this slate in general. I spoke about Harden being the 10,000 guy, probably the only five-digit guy that I'm willing to spend on. Durant and Kyrie are absolutely great picks. Don't get me wrong over here. I don't think you can go wrong with the matchup with the opposition, the Hornets who are Absolutely terrible on the defensive end. That's been their Achilles heel consistently. And we know exactly what Kevin Durant is anytime he gets the opportunity to be able to get going. I expect both him and Kyrie to be able to hit their 5X. The question is, with some of these opportunities that you have with these mid-tier price guys that have gotten significant discounts, They now have 6x, 7x upside to be able to potentially take advantage of. So the question then becomes, how risky do you want to take it? Because you can absolutely take Durant and Kyrie and look to get the rest of these guys in there with perhaps a little bit more value. But I actually don't like the value tier today. I just really like the mid-tier. So I'm going to see myself... In a lot more of that, I'll probably have a little bit of Durant and Kyrie, just because you can't just fade them, given the, the pace of this matchup. And I may even have a lineup that's pretty heavily stacked on this game in general. But I'm not looking at the ancillary pieces as far as Brooklyn is concerned. First and foremost, as far as their injury reports there, both Seth Curry questionable. Dragic is actually probable, but again too much as far as his price is concerned for me to really care. Ben Simmons, of course, is just continuing to be out, although apparently he's shown some significant improvement as far as his back is concerned, so that hopefully he is able to get himself back on the floor sooner rather than later. He is going to be joining them on their road trip later on this week, so We'll have to see if Ben Simmons is able to get himself kind of back on the floor leading into the playoffs because Brooklyn could really use everything they can get from that end as well. But that's going to be about it as far as that game is concerned, which means we can move on to the last game of the night. And it's the slowest-paced game of the night. 214 total points for the Utah Jazz taking on the Dallas Mavericks. The Utah Jazz are favored to win by one, which also makes it the closest game of the night. So it's just a recipe for the main starters, the main high usage guys to be able to take advantage of that. As we've spoken about a number of times here, any of these low point spread matchups, it's usually the ancillary pieces that end up getting their legs taken out because The main high-usage guys are going to absolutely get theirs, and Donovan Mitchell, which is where we're going to start as far as Utah Jazz are concerned, is absolutely that example of that high-usage guy that is absolutely going to get his in a matchup where he's going up against a young stud on the other end, has had three games already this season up against the Dallas Mavericks and even though he hasn't shot particularly well in that it's still gotten him to 43 DK points on average which is in line with what he's been doing this entire season as well so really Donovan Mitchell is in a pretty good spot to be a pretty decent pick over here and more importantly he's been on a hot streak which is really important for a player like Donovan Mitchell who can be with his kind of bouts of streakiness. The fact that he's had three games out of his last five with 50 DK points, none of them below even 37 DK points, just gives you a little bit more of a comfort as far as his buffer and his cushion is concerned for his DK points. And Rudy Gobert, he's the epitome of solidity as far as I'm concerned. Anytime he's under 8,000, he is just a machine to be able to get double-doubles, get to that 40-ish DK points mark. And from a cash perspective, he is just an absolute chalk pick to me. Anytime he's in this price tag. That being said, we're talking GPPs here. We're talking upside. We've talked a lot of front court guys that have a decent amount of upside, especially if some of these injuries kind of come through. So definitely keep Rudy Gobert in your player pool. Keep him marked out, especially if you know Jonas Valanciunas does end up playing. Then perhaps I'm going to move myself away from some of those earlier picks where I was looking at some value and I might get Rudy Gobert in to get some of that late night exposure, get a guy who I know is not going to end up letting me down. And if those mid-tier guys pan out the way I'm hoping for, he could be kind of that round out to a pretty good DFS night. So definitely keep that in mind. As far as injuries are concerned, just because I didn't get that right off the bat, uh, Boyan Bogdanovich has been ruled out for the Sunday game, which of course opens up quite a bit of usage. Uh, Hassan Whiteside is listed questionable, so we'll see if he's able to make it on the floor. But really, with Bogdanovich out, the only other guy that ends up holding any sort of interest for me is Jordan Clarkson. But again, Jordan Clarkson is just hot and cold. He's boomer bust, 5800 at his price tag. I could spend 700 more and get D'Angelo Russell involved, and I would be much, much happier, not only with myself, but also with the lineup in general, to be able to go ahead and have him there instead of taking a Jordan Clarkson. So I am going to go ahead and avoid that and avoid the rest of these ancillary pieces in general as far as the Utah Jazz are concerned. That being said, finally, on the Dallas side, we have their guys. Now, Tim Hardaway Jr., continues to be out. We were hoping at one point that he'd be back for the playoffs, although now we're getting updates that he may not even be ready for that. The rest of their rotation has been pretty solid. Everyone is good to go. No major injuries to speak of there. And really, this is, again, that same scenario that I've been speaking about up until now. Do you want to pay up for that high price tag? 11600 Luka Doncic in a matchup against a supremely pesky defensive squad, but a squad that he has found himself in the right side of two games this season, 64 DK point average. He has absolutely done well against the Utah Jazz, and that's with not particularly great shooting numbers as well, although he has found a little bit more of his stroke from range against the Utah Jazz, which is interesting, and we'll see if he can go ahead and get that. But, it's really those rounded out stats that continue to be Luka Doncic's calling card. He averages nearly a triple-double this season up against the Utah Jazz. We'll have to see if he can continue doing that. But if his latest games are anything to go by, that's exactly where he's finding himself now. His rebounding average for the season has gotten all the way up to 9, which is Always crazy to me, but hey, that's just how we do now. And the fact that he's still got his price tag down by about 500 from the 12,100 it was last game, despite the fact that he's averaging somewhere close to 50 DK points over his last five, just gives you, you know, a decent spot to be able to think about, hey, is Luka Doncic going to drop 60 here for me? If LeBron's, pl- if LeBron's playing... Maybe I'm looking at that. If not, maybe I'm looking at Luca. But again, it just all comes down to which of the studs you wish to end up taking or if you wish to go the other way and go into that mid-tier segment instead and really focus yourself on that and see if you can go ahead and take advantage of the other uh, potential moves that are there, the other potential value plays to really go ahead and round out your lineup. As far as the rest of the rotation is concerned for the Dallas side of things, we know that both Dinwiddie and Brunson have that capability to be able to have some pretty decent nights. They have kind of been switching it off on and off over the last couple of games. We saw Dinwiddie drop you know, 44 two games prior. Then we had Jalen Brunson, who himself had dropped 37 two games prior as well. But then has had, they get games that are sitting in the 20s as well. Again, they're in that price tag of mid-6,000s, lots of great options over there, and better options, in my opinion, that don't have the kind of usage hog that you have in Luka Doncic on your squad otherwise, so that just takes away a lot of their upside, and in general, I've just not found myself playing much of the Dallas guys outside of Luka Doncic unless there happens to be some sort of injury, and in this case, we don't have that, so it's Luka or Bust as far as the Dallas Mavericks are concerned, we're going to have to see if that is the right pick when we get to the end of it all. That brings us to the end of the six-game slate, and I can move right on into the tier list for me, starting off with my value pick, and this is very much in that caveat range, because there's just a lot of guys that are questionable here, and a lot to consider. So, I'll give the two caveats here, and we'll see what ends up panning out, but for me if LeBron James is out then Stanley Johnson at 3600 definitely in play a starter who's going to play 30 plus minutes is going to be needed for his defensive prowess ends up being in play and then of course the chalk pick in Willie Hernan Gomez if Jonas Valanciunas is ultimately ruled out for his game at 3800 I expect him to be supremely highly owned for good reason just take the chalk go with it in fact I would absolutely love it if that ends up happening because that just means that's one less roster spot for me to worry about with all of these great mid-tier options that I'm looking to go ahead and get into. And if I can have one that's going to give me that kind of production, that just means there's seven other slots that I can end up focusing on as far as these mid-tier guys are concerned. Speaking of mid-tier though, this is an absolute bloodbath. There's To me, 10 to 11 legitimate options that are sitting here in that 5,000 to 8,000 price range, which are just absolutely great to be able to take. And there's really no wrong answers with a lot of them, but I'm still going to say that Chris Paul at 7,200 is going to be at the top of that tree there for me. Looked great in his first game back, played 30 whole minutes, and is going to be in a matchup where he's likely to be that much more required. Philly, Phoenix. Likely the game of the night as far as actually watching. We'll have to see if it pans out the way that I'm thinking it will. And then there's that history aspect of CP3 versus Harden as well. So there's just lots of storylines going into it at his price tag. Absolutely love taking that. And I don't think you can go wrong with that. And then finally, as far as the expensive tier is concerned, and this is where I'm saying, I'm not thinking about the super five-digit guys that I've spoken about. All of them are great KD Kyrie, LeBron if he plays, Luka, Harden, all of them are very much in play in a great scenario where they could potentially get 5x. Harden would probably be my favorite of that, but in general, I'm going to say LaMelo Ball at 8,700 is going to be my favorite top tier guy. Just 239 game total in a night where Brooklyn, not a great defensive team, Lamello in a great situation to be able to take advantage of a Kyrie Irving on the other end. And in general, I expect that there's just going to be a lot of high scoring coming from the top three guys as far as Charlotte's concerned with LaMelo leading the pack. So that's going to be where I focus my top tier sides. Speaking of focusing on who I'm looking at, moving on to the Thrive Fantasy side of things. And this is where there is a A lot of potential juice that I'm seeing over here, especially with uh, the potential that, for instance, if Valanciunas is out, then you don't have to worry about his uh, Thrive Fantasy. But really, again, I get to go back to LaMelo, which, hey, sometimes I get to stay on brand. It's great. LaMelo, points, rebounds, and assists combined, 32.5. His over is sitting at 100, and I think that's just an absolute lock given the pace of this matchup and given how close the matchup will ultimately get depending on how things go. I expect he we could see him drop in the high 20s as far as just points are concerned, so really he's just going to need a couple of rebounds and assists to be able to go ahead and match that, and I do expect him to pass this pretty comfortably. But that's it. That is the end of a pretty packed slate as far as the Sunday is concerned. So lots to look forward to, to end out your weekend and see if you can go ahead and crush some of these lineups. If it goes well, as always, you can reach me at HAK underscore devil on Twitter, where you let me know some of your takes, some of your lineups, some of your results based upon some of the things that we've gone ahead and talked about. And we get a lot of great feedback on a consistent basis. I get messages reaching out to me. I try to get back to them as much as I can. Definitely keep doing that. Love interacting with everyone out over here. And thanks very much for listening. As always, review, rate, and subscribe on any of the platforms that you do listen to your different podcasts. And I will be back on the Monday Slate with Mike, as always, crushing all these different lineups but until then enjoy your sunday and let's go out there and kill some gpp's you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel